So, all right. Does anyone want a Bible, first of all? Uh, we're going to, you know, read some stuff. Chris, I guess we'll bring you one if you put your hand up. Um, yeah. So I, I, I slept very little last night, and so I'm in a really weird mood. So I don't know what this will be, uh, but it'll be interesting if it's nothing else. So here we go. Um, so if you were here last week, you know that we have just begun a series uh, going through the book of Acts. We're not going to cover everything, but we're going to cover a fair bit of it. Uh, it's going to be a while. And uh, you heard Nellie introduce the book yet, uh, last week. If you were here, she told us um, that in Acts, the main character, arguably, is the Holy Spirit. So even though we call it Acts of the Apostles often... Uh, acts of the Holy Spirit might almost make more sense because it's the Holy Spirit that drives the plot, that drives the things that are happening. Uh, without the Holy Spirit, there's no book of Acts in any coherent way. She also suggested the main theme of the book of Acts might be uh, being witnesses to Jesus Christ. There's a lot of witness language um, where, where the people that follow Jesus are to be his witnesses, and I'll, I'll be talking about that a lot today too. Um, and then the main prayer she suggested uh, of the church might be a prayer for boldness. We see that in the first couple of chapters. The church prays for boldness, and the Spirit shows up and gives them boldness, and they go out uh, in the face of challenges and uh, reasons they might not be so bold. So that's kind of, you know, where we started off. Uh, she also pointed out Luke and Acts are like a two-volume series. The same person seems to have written them, uh, and Acts picks up right where Luke leaves off. That is, at the end of Luke, Jesus is risen, and he sends people, he says, okay, wait in Jerusalem, you'll receive the Holy Spirit, and then you'll go out. And then that's exactly where we start in Acts as well. Jesus is risen, and he says, go to Jerusalem, wait for the Holy Spirit, and then you'll go do some stuff. So that's where we are, risen Jesus with his disciples. He's been with them for 40 days uh, at this point, and now um, he's sort of giving them this last word before he ascends. And uh, so... Our, our verse, if you have a, a Bible or an app or whatever, is Acts 1.8. Brilliant. And Jesus says, uh, this is once the, you know, you're going to wait in Jerusalem. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And... Uh, this verse actually would work really well as a, a summary, or you might even say a table of contents for the book of Acts. It's pretty much laid out like this. So right after this, uh, shortly after this verse happens, uh, the church is, is gathered together in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit, they receive the Holy Spirit and power. Uh, so that's like Acts chapter 2. And then we see them doing stuff in Jerusalem, sort of chapters 3 through 7. Uh, and then chapter 8 and, and a few chapters after that, they're venturing into Samaria, which is sort of just a little bit to the north, and Judea, which is the area where Jerusalem is, sort of the immediate area they'd be familiar with. Uh, and then beyond that, we start to see uh, the church people going and, and talking about Jesus and doing works of power in other places that are further away. They go into Syria, they go into uh, Turkey, they go into Greece, they go even all the way to some of the islands in the Mediterranean, ultimately to Rome. Uh, which is a, long, a fairly long way away when you don't have cars and planes and all this. I mean, they're going far, far away. And so it's like there's this expansion of, of the gospel of Jesus starting in Jerusalem but going to the ends of the earth. Um, and apparently this happens 
in some way because the Holy Spirit has given them power and made them witnesses. Uh, and as Troy said recently, I think during a prayer, this is kind of like our main thing. I mean, when Jesus is risen, this is what he talks about. Going and being my witnesses, going to the ends of the earth, making disciples of all nations. A lot of what we do is kind of not specifically something that he talked about, but this is like what he specifically had to say. Maybe some of what we do supports that, and that doesn't mean we shouldn't do the other things that we do, but the main thing is, is bringing the message of Jesus, being his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Um, and, and actually, the way that the Holy Spirit comes, and Nellie will talk about this with us more next week, uh, actually bears witness to this really expansive sort of worldwide thing, this idea that Jesus wants to be known in every place. Uh, and the way it does this is uh, when the Spirit comes upon the church, uh, if you know this passage, you know it well, they, they start to speak in other languages that they hadn't learned. And they go out on the streets and they're, they're speaking about God in unfamiliar languages, and there are people gathered in the city from all over the place here, and they start to hear God being spoken about in their native tongue. It's not that they couldn't have heard it a different way because pretty much everyone knows Greek in this world. They, they could have talked to them in Greek, but they heard it in their native language. There's this sense of like God's meeting everyone uh, as them in a sense. And so I, what I, I thought it was funny reading through this though, it's a really long list of places uh, in, in Acts 2, 8 to 11. Uh, the people are reacting to what's happening, and they say, how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. I just feel like, you know, you, didn't, you could have said it so much quicker, like people from all over. But it's just, it's, that's kind of tedious almost. Like, that's a lot of places. It's almost like trying to say, no, really, people from here and here and there and way over there and way out there too were hearing God, you know, in their native language. This is a, a message for people all over the place because Jesus wants to be known all over the place. Uh, and, and one of the interesting things, I'm not going to spend too much time on this, but as far as I know, prior to Christianity, there's really not a sense of a universal religion. People in different lands worship different gods. They had their own practices. Uh, there wasn't a sense of like, we need to, the world needs to know about our God. Uh, the closest, I thought of two things that are kind of like this in this world. One of those is uh, Jews did have this hope in, in their prophecies. You know, you can read it in the Old Testament. They're, the prophets talked about a day in the future when God is going to set the world right and, and restore the kingdom to Israel, that is, put Israel back in the place of prominence. Right now they're under sort of the, the thumb of Rome, and, and they have been for centuries under different powers. They're going to have the kingdom restored, uh, be in a place of prominence, and then people from all nations will come and worship Israel's God. That's kind of like a universal religion, sort of, but it's, it's when God does this thing sometime. And, and it didn't necessarily motivate a lot of, um, you know, missions, if you will, people going out to other places. A few Jews did do that, but very few. Uh, a few Jews did go and try to make converts in other places, but that was, that was the exception, not the rule. The other uh, next closest thing to a universal religion that I know of is uh, these empires that were ruling over this land um, would sort of force the people that they took over to Worship, you know, they, they would have a pantheon of gods. They'd worship a bunch of different gods. They're pagans. Uh, they would force them to bring a couple of the, 
the empire's gods on. So if it's, if it's Greece, uh, you know, then you have to sort of work Zeus into your pantheon. If you do that, we're cool. You can keep doing what you're doing. We just want you to know who your daddy is. We want you to, to acknowledge, you know, pay lip service to our God, just, you know, and then Rome comes in and they want you to burn your incense to Caesar. You don't have to actually believe Caesar's God, but just do it so we know who's in charge here. So it's clear, you know, you guys aren't, you guys don't, you're under us. Uh, so that's not really the same thing, right? It's not that the world needs to know about Jupiter or Zeus or whoever. It's just, it's about power, it's about politics, it's about um, building an empire. So, so in Christianity, however, I think there's a certain uniqueness because we believe that actually the whole world needs to know about our God. Our God wants to be known by people all over the world. Um, and in fact, it's not just people all over the world in terms of place, it's every kind of person. So also in, this, uh, in Acts 2, when the church receives the Holy Spirit, you know, there's all this uh, tongue speaking going on, and, and then some people start to go, oh, these guys are just drunk, or they don't know what to make of it. So Peter gets up, and he gives a word, and he says a bunch of stuff, but one of the things he says is this. He says, this is uh, that which the prophet Joel spoke about. This is a prophet of the Old Testament, Joel. Um, and Joel says, in the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And so Peter says, you know that thing Joel said? This is that thing. This is what he was talking about. God pouring out his spirit on all flesh, both men and women, Religion was mostly for men, uh, both high status and low status. It's also the slaves. In fact, if in case it was unclear, both the men and the women among the slaves, both the old men and the young men, um, the age, the span of ages, span of statuses, uh, both genders, uh, on all flesh, I'm going to pour out my spirit. I really, it's like, it, it's again, a little bit tedious to keep mentioning all this. Like, no, really, I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh, and I mean it. Um, so this, this picture of the pouring out of God's spirit, this thing that God is doing that started a couple thousand years ago in Jerusalem is, is Jesus being known and, and making himself known all over the world to every kind of person. There's something so inclusive and diverse and all-encompassing about that because, you know, there's one God who wants to claim the whole world for himself. Coming back to 1.8, where I started a minute ago, um, so that's kind of the, that's my, my piece about the ends of the earth. I'm, I'm pretty much going to camp out in this verse today. Uh, so being Jesus' witnesses, uh, what I wanted to say there is that witness here is a noun and not a verb. So it's not something we do so much as something we are. Um, I don't know, you may have been a part of churches or at least you know about this, uh, where people will talk about witnessing uh, by which they mean, you know, I'm going to go out and tell people about Jesus. So if someone is out with, like, a sandwich board on or they're handing out tracts or whatever it is they're doing, uh, they're witnessing. And I don't want to, you know, crap on that, but uh, if we're using the language of Acts, witnessing is not just that. I mean, or what Jesus calls us to is not just that. Being a witness it has to do with what we are. It's not just a doing. There is certainly doing involved, as we'll see as we go through this book. There's a lot of doing to being a witness, but it's, also, it's not just about doing stuff or saying stuff, it's about who we are. And um, the fact that if you look at this, it appears that it's when the Holy Spirit comes upon us that we will be his witnesses, that seems to imply 
We need the Holy Spirit to be his witnesses. The Holy Spirit needs to do something for us to be Jesus' witnesses. Uh, And I actually, in the shower this morning, I thought of another way to say this, so maybe it'll be fun. Um, So we're not just declaring Jesus uh, and the gospel of Jesus, but we're actually to be a declaration of the gospel of Jesus. Uh, That doesn't mean there aren't words, but it's more than words. So, if I look at uh, how wit- being a witness works in Acts, as we're, and we're going to, you know, go through it, see a bunch of this in the future, um, there is this sense of, of declaration. So, Peter gets up on, on the first sort of the day of Pentecost, and he uh, says, here's what's going on. He's, he's declaring, he's talking about the gospel. He's, and we see this over and over again. People deliver speeches, people tell others, they teach, they say, this is the truth about Jesus. There is declaring. Uh, But we also see another way, I think, uh, that people are being witnesses, and it's by being transformed. So you look at someone like Paul, who is actually the fiercest opponent of the church. He's opposed to the gospel. He's trying to have people killed and arrested and tortured and all this stuff. And then Jesus gets hold of him, and then he becomes the fiercest promoter of the gospel. And people, you'll notice if you read through the book, people that's not lost on people. People are like, that's the guy who was doing all that bad stuff like last week. And now he's trying to tell people about Jesus. Um, and, and, and then Paul will come before rulers and he'll say, I was the fiercest, in case you, you know, aren't clear, I was like the fiercest opponent of this. And then Jesus revealed himself to me. And now here I am. So, so there's a transformation that actually bears witness to the fact that this is real. Because that doesn't make sense. You don't just randomly change your mind for no reason. Something happened. Um, that's bearing witness to Jesus by transformation. Uh, so, Holy Spirit, transformation, good stuff. Um, and <laughs> many of us have uh, had experiences or known someone who had experiences of being, you know, there's a clear, observable transformation happening by the Holy Spirit. Uh, some of you, of course, uh, it's possible, have always been uh, walking with the Lord since a very young age. The Holy Spirit has always been at work in you. You may not have known a time when that wasn't the case, and so you may take it for granted. You may not point to a time and say, here's where I was transformed by the Holy Spirit. That's fine. That's great. That's beautiful. Uh, others may have had a particular time you can point to, or, or many, um, where the Spirit clearly made changes in, in fundamental ways to, to you or someone you, you were around and saw. Um, whenever, and I'm more in that latter category, I think. So, uh, shortly after I started, you know, walking with the Lord and really, uh, being a Christian, uh, I was out, my parents came to visit me and, uh, we were out to lunch after, or out to dinner after they'd been around me for like a week or something. And, you know, they saw like, okay, this is, uh, you know, Bill is, is, studying the Bible, he's, he's talking to people about Jesus, he's trying to serve, he's trying to share what he has, uh, he actually has community, I was not a social guy at all uh, before, suddenly he's got like this community of people, like friends and social engagements and interacting with people in ways that, that, that we're not familiar with and, you know, there's this, just what's going on. So we were sitting there at dinner and I remember my mom said to me, you know, when you were a teenager, if I had, had learned that you were going to end up in jail, end up dead on the streets, I wouldn't have been surprised. But this, 
I was not expecting this. this she said that. Um, now, I think she might have been exaggerating a little bit. I don't know if most folks who knew me before I was walking with the Lord would have expected me to be dead on the street, you know, mothers. Um, but I did get into some trouble, and I did, you know, have some very serious issues. Um, and so, you know, it's like, who are you, and what have you done with my son? And so I said, well, I'm, I've, I'm born again. I've been, you know, the spirit of Jesus Christ lives in me. That's what's different. Uh, that's, a, that's, that's being a witness uh, to the gospel. And um, some of you may have had experiences like that or known someone who did, you, you know, even if it's not quite like that. Uh, just even occasions where you suddenly see over a period of time, so God's really doing something in that person, that they're doing things they wouldn't have done before, transformation, or uh, maybe it's even more gradual, just growing up and maturing. I don't want to put a box in, around it, but this idea that... Um, being a Christian isn't just about sort of an ethical code. It's not just about some doctrines. It's about being transformed, and that itself is part of what you know how Jesus is made known to the world. Um, so that transformation. The other thing I kind of wanted to talk about is, uh, I think the idea, if I look at Acts and what what it really means to be a witness uh, to Jesus Christ, I think it means that the Spirit makes us like Jesus. That may seem obvious, but I'll go through that in a little more detail. If you look at Luke and Acts, they're, like I said, two volumes. If you look at them side by side, you see a lot of things that match up, and you start to realize the disciples are being portrayed like Jesus. So at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, uh, the Holy Spirit descends on him, and then he goes off and does his stuff, right? He's baptized. The Holy Spirit rests on him. He goes and starts healing people and proclaiming stuff, uh, at the beginning of the book of Acts, the church, the Holy Spirit comes and rests on the church. And then they go do the stuff. So you see a similarity there. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, and then the church does similar sorts of things. They heal people just like Jesus heals people. They raise the dead just like Jesus raises the dead. They cast out demons just like Jesus casts out demons. Uh, they prophesy, that is, they speak from the heart of God. They say things that God says just like Jesus uh, and they are guided in their decisions by the Holy Spirit. We'll see all that as we go through this. You don't have to memorize all that. Uh, they also proclaim, proclaim truth. So Jesus went around saying stuff about God, proclaiming the gospel, and people believed. The disciples do that too. Uh, Jesus gives public addresses, speeches. The disciples, some of them do that. Uh, Jesus teaches the Bible in ways that are counterintuitive and that challenge what's conventional. The disciples do that too. Um, Jesus speaks before specifically powerful and influential people, people who might be intimidating and are often not very happy about him. And the disciples do exactly that as well. We'll see all that in the coming weeks. Uh, some of the practices are the same. They share food together, just like Jesus shared food with people. They share resources with people in need. Jesus and his disciples did that as well. So there's sharing resources with people in need. That's a parallel. Uh, they're baptizing, just like Jesus had his disciples baptize when he was uh, walking the earth. Another thing, uh, maybe a little more unexpected, is when Jesus shows up somewhere, oftentimes it creates problems. It generates unrest. People are bothered by Jesus showing up and by what he does and by who he is and when he comes into a place, often. Uh, and we'll see that actually Peter and Paul and Philip and all these people do exactly that too. They create problems. They show up and things go you know, people get upset. People have to call meetings to decide what's to be done with them. 
that is apparently part of what it means to be like Jesus in the way that Acts shows the disciples being like Jesus. Uh, we see that in, in Jesus' life, God is with him and is protecting him in ways. People try to throw him off a cliff, he escapes somehow. People try to stone him to death, he gets away somehow because God is with him. Uh, we see Paul, pretty much the same story. People try, attempt to kill him, he still survives. People uh, lock people, the disciples up in jail and somehow the, the gates open and they leave. Like the chains fall off. God is with them, God is protecting them and uh, has his hand on them in a protective way. At the same time, though, uh, being faithful to God also creates suffering and even gets people killed. So it's not an absolute. God, nothing bad will ever happen to you if you're faithful to God. That's not how it works. There is a truth to God protecting people who do his work, but there's also a truth to people suffering in big, big ways and being willing to pay costs. Uh, James, one of the, uh, James is James, the brother of John, one of the disciples who you see with Jesus a lot. He gets uh, executed in the book of Acts. A lot of people go to jail. Uh, Paul also gets executed or gets arrested um, in Jerusalem, the same place that Jesus got arrested, with a plot ahead of time to sort of entrap him like Jesus. Uh, and he knows, he goes to Jerusalem ahead of time like Jesus, knowing that it's going to happen. But he says, this is God's will. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to do it. People are like, no, 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 don't do it. And Paul says, no, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. This is how it has to be. Uh, Jesus, that, I mean, that should sound familiar if you read the Gospels. Similarly, when, uh, when bad things do happen, uh, there's grace so Stephen gets stoned to death, but as he's dying, he says, Lord, don't hold this against them. And so if you know the Gospel of Luke, that should sound familiar. Forgive them, Father. They don't know what they're doing. Uh, there's grace extended to even the people who are, who are severely hurting and killing uh, those who are proclaiming God. So in all those ways, it's like that the picture is the disciples are doing the stuff Jesus did. And not just doing the stuff, but... They are the kind of people that Jesus was. Not perfect. There's problems. I'm glad that we see problems because the standard is, you know, it's not that there's no room for us to make mistakes or screw up or sin. Uh, it's that, but there's a, there's a, there's a likeness there. Uh, the people who follow Jesus are becoming like Jesus by the Holy Spirit. Um, so that all happened back then. Uh, when I heard about Pentecost, the, the Spirit coming down as a child, and I heard about the flames, you know, there's... Nellie will talk about this more, but the flaming tongues come down and rest on them. Uh, I sort of, in my mind, it was like, oh, that was a cool thing that happened back then so that they could start the church. And in a lot of churches, I don't know if you know, uh, they, they will teach that, that all this Holy Spirit stuff and miracles and healings and all that, that's all for back then. Once we got the Bible worked out, then we don't need that. I don't know, I don't get that because the Bible, that's this, this, like not the same thing, Right? Um, the Bible is not, reading stories about people getting healed isn't the same as people getting healed. Um, and you could expand that into all the other stuff. It doesn't work. Uh, but, but even more than that, if you read the Bible, you would never expect that these things would cease. So um, 238 to 39, this is still Peter giving his speech about what's happening, what in the world this is. Uh, when the Holy Spirit descends, he says, well, the people say, okay, once he's done talking, they say, so what do we do? You're saying this is what's happening. What do we do? He says, uh, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. So it's not just 
the 120 people that were there on the day of Pentecost that get this crazy Holy Spirit thing, it's, um, it's, it's for everyone who God calls. It's a promise. It's not just a, you know, it's a promise of God to everyone who God calls. The Holy Spirit does this stuff. So there's no reason, <clears throat> there's no reason at all to expect it to cease at some arbitrary point for any reason. Now, I don't think very many people here see it that way. We kind of emphasize the Spirit a lot here, but just in case you were wondering. <clears throat> uh, we also see in, in Acts, the Holy Spirit fills people a bunch of times. Uh, it, it doesn't happen the same way every time. It doesn't always have the fire, in case you were disappointed uh, that the fire has never come down and rested on you. That doesn't mean it did, that you aren't filled with the Holy Spirit. It happens different ways. It doesn't always look exactly the same, but it is a repeated thing. It's like this is part of the gospel spreading. This is, this is part of the thing. Um, so... It's not just that those disciples back in the book of Acts are to be like Jesus in these ways. Hopefully, you've already made this connection. We should be like Jesus in these ways. We should expect this to be how the Holy Spirit works in us. Um, and I'm not going to, I was initially going to just go through that whole list again. That's tedious. Uh, I think there's three big categories that I want to emphasize as far as how we should expect to find ourselves being like Jesus or maybe how we should pray to be like Jesus or seek more of the Spirit so that we'll be more like Jesus. <clears throat> the first one has to do with this being empowered by the Holy Spirit. We talk about this a lot, so I don't know how many people will don't already have this sense, but, uh, you know, I, I'm off, I often work as a TA for seminary courses, and when people go through the Gospels and write their thoughts, a lot of times they'll say, okay, Jesus healed this guy. He was able to do this because he was the Son of God. And I always have to put a little note like, well, here's the thing. So the Gospels don't portray Jesus as just doing magic stuff because he has all these magic powers because he's the Son of God. He emptied himself and became fully human. And then, you know, it was, like I said, the Holy Spirit rests on him and then he goes and does the stuff. He doesn't heal people or raise the dead or prophesy or whatever it is as the Son of God per se. He does it as a person empowered by the Holy Spirit. And so when we look at a story of Jesus doing some amazing thing in the Gospels, we shouldn't say, oh, that shows that he's the Son of God. We should say, oh, he did that because the same Spirit that lives in me lived in him. Which, if you think about it, means the same Spirit that lived in him lives in me, and so... That is something that potentially I could do or that God could do through me and that, you know, we're not necessarily all going to do all these things, but that's on the table. <clears throat> that's right. Somebody say amen. Come on. <laughs> and now as we're going through Acts, we're not in a gospel, but we're going to see this kind of stuff happening with the disciples. And so obviously it follows that. You shouldn't read it as the Holy Spirit came on them back then to get the church started and therefore they did this amazing thing. They did the amazing thing because the same spirit that lives in me lives in them, which means that the same spirit that lives in them lives in me, and we could expect that this is on the table for us too. So that's how we should be receiving these stories. We're going to get a whole bunch of cool, cool stories of stuff that happened a long, long time ago, but it's not just stories about stuff that happened a long, long time ago. It's this is what it's like to be a witness to Jesus Christ. That's point one.
The second thing, that one's more of the happy, clappy, kind of, this is awesome, this is great news. Uh, The less fun news is uh, that (laughs) being a witness also involves sacrifice and suffering and being willing to pay a high price out of faithfulness to God. Uh, To some degree, we see this in uh, the disciples being willing to give their resources to people in need. That's, okay, that's that's a bit sacrificial. Uh, Also, I I talked a couple weeks ago, yeah, I know, it can be very sacrificial, (laughs) Um, I talked a couple weeks ago about being uh, bold in our proclamation of the gospel and being willing to look foolish or cause problems or have, uh, have it cost us something. So this whole idea is there. Um, the proclamation of the gospel isn't always tidy or happy or fun. Sometimes it makes us suffer. And Jesus wants us to be willing to suffer for the gospel. Uh, in fact, it, it's to the extent that it may involve losing our lives. We live in America. You're probably not going to get killed here for being a Christian. There are brothers and sisters we have in the world for whom that is a real threat. And who I mean, even if it's not something we think is going to happen, that's the level of devotion. Jesus wants us all the way and no less than that. Uh, so even with our very lives, we need to be devoted to his purposes fully. Uh, and maybe this is in the not-so-fun bucket, depending on how you think about this sort of thing. Um, we may cause problems in our faithfulness to God. Jesus caused problems. Jesus' followers in the book of Acts caused problems. People, I'm not saying we should go out trying to cause problems. I'm not saying we should go out trying to make messes. But it may happen. And if it does happen, that doesn't necessarily mean you did it wrong. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean God's not working in something. If, if a meeting has to get called to figure out what's to be done with you, you shouldn't be surprised because that's part of the thing. God's ways work differently. That makes people upset. That makes problems. It makes messes. It makes situations and issues. And so if you generate some situations, you don't necessarily, that doesn't necessarily mean you're on the wrong track. We should be prepared for that. We should be uh, expecting that that may happen. So that's what I have to say. Um, I think we'll just, maybe the band can come up and we'll just spend some time kind of waiting and seeing what God wants to do. If you get a word, you can share that. If you just feel like there's a particular point in here, I've said a bunch of different stuff. Uh, If there's a particular thing that God's speaking to you in, um, you can kind of just ponder that. You can put a hand up to get someone to pray with you. You can come forward for prayer if you want. People will be up here that will pray with you. Um, and if anyone feels like they want to share something with the group, we can do that. We'll just see, see where this goes.